Well, good evening. It's good to see you out on a Saturday night. It's good to look at your faces here in this room, and it's good to be with those of you that are online right now. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's David, and I'm the youth pastor here, um, and I'm so excited to be together. Uh, right now, though, before I forget, like I always do, kids, fifth grade and under, go ahead and make your way on downstairs. Uh, you are gonna have a great time with Pam and Amy and our crew that happens down there, and I know that they've got an awesome night set up for you. I uh, just wanna remind you of what Brandon said at the top of the sermon. If you happen to get bored during the teaching over the next 25 minutes or so, you can definitely pull out that uh, information card that he encouraged you to fill out, the one that you get at the doctor's office, and we'd love to have that dropped off at the end of service, and uh, we'll even bribe you a little bit and get you something nice if we draw your name out of the hat after completing that. I also want to celebrate someone that's here tonight that hasn't been here for quite a while, Mr. Charlie Miller. Charlie, will you stand up for me real quick? Uh, Charlie just recently got back from his basic training in the Marines, and this is his first weekend back at MCC, and we're glad to see you, Bubba. You look good, man. You look good. You even got all your ears and your nose is still in one piece, so good shape. Well, hey, uh, this is gonna be our second to last teaching in this God Defined series, and what an amazing series that it's been looking at how God defines himself, not necessarily how we often try to define God. You know, we do that a lot in our upbringing or maybe something that we've heard before, but what we've seen in this series is that God goes to great lengths to define his character, his attributes, his nature, and certainly his desires. And so in doing so, he invites us to know him and to trust him and to experience him which leads us to our topic that we're gonna be diving into tonight together, and that's how God defines himself as the provider. If you've got your bulletin, you can follow along there. If you have your notebook students, or maybe you brought a journal with you tonight, you're gonna to have a lot of opportunities to take some notes that hopefully will help you in your discovery of who God says he is, and ultimately how you put that into practice this week. As we'll see tonight through the words of Abraham, God defines himself as Jehovah Jireh. And if you don't know what that means, you will soon enough. But let me begin with a story. You see, there once was a man and he was on his way to a nearby village. He did not have a car and so he decided to walk. And as the man is walking, he is distracted. Certainly, he may have been distracted by the birds that were chirping in the air, or maybe he was distracted by his cell phone, even though he didn't have a car, he's walking. And uh, he finds himself kind of walking on the edge of this cliff, and all of a sudden, he loses his footing and he falls off the side of the cliff. And just like we've seen in the cartoons or like we've seen in the newspaper articles, he grabs onto a branch just in the nick of time, and he's holding on on the edge of this cliff, crying out for someone to help him. And now at first, he kind of is in just pure shock, but through some time here, he recognizes, okay, I can't get myself out of this, and so I need some help from someone. So he begins to look up above the cliff, and he calls out, he says, hey, is there anybody up there that can help me? And there's nothing. He yells again, he says, is there anybody up there that can help me? Nothing. Third time he calls out in the same way and he hears this gravely voice, this deep, powerful voice from heaven call out to him, it's God. And God says, hey, I'm here, I can help you. Great, just let go. The man pauses for a minute, thinks about that. He looks back up and he says, yeah, is there anybody else up there 
<laughs> See, so often we find ourselves very similar to this man where we find ourselves stuck in a hard situation or maybe because we weren't paying attention, we've fallen off the edge of the cliff and we're looking for provision, we're looking for rescue. But oftentimes the rescue or the answer that God gives us maybe doesn't match the way that we thought that would come. Or maybe it's different than what we imagined that might be. But what we're gonna learn tonight is that God's provision is most notably recognized when he is the only one who can provide it. We see this in the splitting of the Red Sea. We see this as God quenches the thirst of his people with water from a rock. We see it as God raises dead people from the grave. He places life in the womb. He holds the sun in place. He calms the sea and the storm. And he even gives us breath in our lungs today. Yes, even that breath that you just took right here in this room or online right now, that was not something that you earned, nor did you deserve, but rather that was provided for you by God himself. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We're gonna look into the accounts of Abraham, and there we're gonna see how his family experienced God as provider through circumstances that required all of Abraham's trust. As you do so, let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word tonight. And Lord, as we look to you as provider, Father, we're grateful that we know that we can trust you in that. May the words of your text tonight bring to light for us the places that we need to trust you and that we would know that you are faithful in that. God, make us ready. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you were to go back and you were to look in Abraham's story a little bit sooner, in fact, even if you go back to chapter 21, you'll see that Abraham and Sarah had been provided a son, Isaac, and that son was a direct provision from God. You see, Abraham and his wife, they were far along in years. They had tried for years. They had prayed for years. They even sidestepped God's promise for a son by coming up with their own plan to have children, and that had a whole bunch of problems in it if you look back earlier in Genesis, but even through all of this, God provided for them, giving them Isaac when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah in her 90s. Imagine what that would have been like when Isaac came into the world. Kelsey and I are expecting our next baby, not this Monday, but next Monday. And I remember going back in my mind not too long ago with Sam, which just tells you, you know, <laughs> we didn't plan that out very well. But I remember not too long ago with Sam and when he was first born, just staring at him while he slept and, and just hearing his voice or smelling that baby breath that comes. I mean, all of those things were just reminders to me of how faithful and powerful and true God is by creating life in that way. And we're so excited to have another opportunity to do that so soon. But for Abraham and Sarah, think about that just times a little bit more because they're 190. <laughs> And that can be so amazing as we look into how God provides from here on out. Because, you know, that child grew up. And we see that pick up in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, 
In verse one, God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there on a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. What a shift. (laughs) What a dramatic element already put in place here in God's word. Just one chapter earlier, we see the promised son coming into the world. And now God's asking to put him on some sticks and burn him alive. What a crazy, crazy course of events. So why would Abraham be willing to do that? Surely Abraham's gonna argue against this command. Surely Abraham's gonna question this, but he doesn't. And there's a reason why he doesn't. Look in verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded up his donkey starting early in the morning. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I don't want us to miss a few things that I think are so important in this text. Number one, this wasn't something that Abraham just did in a day. Abraham had to consistently trust the Lord day after day as he chopped the wood, as he loaded the donkey, as he walked his way up the mountain, as he told his wife what was about to happen, as he looked at the servants wondering, man, what is Abraham doing right now? He consistently listened to what God had told him to do, even if it didn't make sense in the moment. And again, there's a reason why. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke and said to his father, I can imagine this as a father when Sam looks at me and says those sweet little words like he says right now, listen to the words that Isaac spoke to his father. He said, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered. He said, God himself, you can circle or underline that, God himself will provide This is where we're introduced to the word from the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I want to make sure that we caught what he just said because it's right here in this statement that we see Abraham verbalize his faith in God's provision even when he can't see it at the moment. What he's saying is that we can confidently trust God's provision in the now and what is to come when we recognize his work in the past. For Abraham, this type of faith that he's displaying right now is not instantaneous. It did not happen overnight. Rather, Abraham in his 100 plus years of life has experienced God's provision as he was tested over and over again. Warren Weasby writes this in a commentary. He says, in the school of faith, we must have occasional 
tests or we will never know where we are spiritually. Abraham certainly had his share of tests right from the beginning. First, it was the family test when he was called to leave his loved ones and to step out into a new land. This was followed by a famine test when Abraham actually failed that because he doubted God and he ended up going to Egypt for help. Once back in the land, Abraham passed the fellowship test when he gave Lot his first choice in using the promised pasture land. And then he also passed the fight test when he defeated the kings and the fortune test when he said no to Sodom's wealth. But he failed the fatherhood test when Sarah was impatient and he and her came up with a new plan to have a child with Hagar. And when it came to send that son away, Abraham passed the farewell test even though it broke his heart. The reason why I share that with you is to give you a synopsis, a glimpse into the fact that Abraham recognized that he could trust God because he's had to do that in the past. He's experienced God before. All of these moments shaped and refined Abraham's faith to trust that God is who he says he is. He knows God as a provider because he's experienced the blessing that comes from trusting God in his provision, and he's also felt the pain of denying God and trying to do it himself. Have we? Yeah, we have. Verse nine, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What an amazing relationship between father and son. Scripture does not give any account of kicking or screaming or any type of resistance. Why do you think that is? Because Isaac trusted his father. Enough so that even when his father was acting in his eyes, probably a little crazy, he was willing because he's experienced his father provide for him in the same way that Abraham's experienced God provide for him. He's passed that on through the way in which he is fathering his child. Then Abraham reaches out his hand and he takes the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Do you see the question that's being asked to Abraham throughout this account? It's really a simple question. Does Abraham love God more than he loves his son Isaac? Does Abraham trust that God will provide even if it doesn't make sense in the moment? Does Abraham trust that God's consistent with his character on how God defines himself? A quick jump over from this account to Hebrews shows us a little more into what is actually happening here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Listen to this, verse 19. This is a glimpse into Abraham's thought process here. 
Abraham reasons that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Abraham took God at his word, so much so that in his mind, he reasoned that if this meant for Abraham to slay his son on the altar, that he was willing to do that because he knew that God was powerful enough to raise Isaac back from the dead. Abraham recognized the promises of God that he had told him that the offspring would come from Isaac. This promised generation that would come from Abraham was to come through Isaac. So God's not gonna go back on his word. Why? Because as we've seen in this series, God is faithful. God is true, God is provider. Even if that means that Abraham has to take the life of his son, Abraham knows that God's bigger. God is already one. This is the same kind of hope that we need to have for those in our lives too. For those that we are praying for right now for the moments that we are trusting God in. You know, as I was writing and looking into this, I was burdened um, by the number of you who are facing disease and stricken with the next surgery that you feel like you have to go through or the next procedure that is on the books or just that feeling of what all of this means for you. And we join you in praying for you and encouraging you in that. But here's what I'm so grateful for, is that God has already provided a way for us all to be healed. Yes, God can give us life on this earth if he wills and grants that and praise him for that. But we have a hope that's greater than this world. That hope is heaven where there is no more disease, there is no more hurting, there is no more tears. And if our hope is there, then we know that God's provision is good. In fact, God's definition of provision is not just temporary, rather it's eternal. We see this foreshadowed in the last few verses. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. God asked for Isaac, but yet instead God sent a ram in his place, a sacrifice for Isaac. So Abraham calls the place, the Lord will provide. Again, in the Hebrew, we see that as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And then Abraham said, and it has been said since then, that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The account of Abraham on Mount Moriah is more than just a dramatic illustration of faith and obedience It's the presentation of God's eternal grace, God's continuous provision, and his all-encompassing wisdom. It's a testimony of who he is. 
God defines himself through this account and throughout scripture as Jehovah Jireh. Not the Lord did provide, but the Lord will provide. In other words, this name does not simply memorialize a certain event, which we know that God provides and we can grow in our trust from him when we look back and we see those things. But more importantly, this anticipates a future action. And so for all of us in this room tonight, or for those that are online right now, as you're thinking through, well, what about the things that I'm asking God to provide for right now? What about the things that I'm struggling to trust him in right now? Know today that God is one who provides. The statements on the mountain of the Lord that will be provided refers, in fact, even more than just Mount Moriah. It refers to a hill called Calvary where God did not spare his only son but rather gave him up for us. Just like Isaac, God has provided a sacrifice for us. You see, sin has called our name. We have run into it and we have fallen short of God's grace, or fallen short of God's glory. But because of his grace, he has invited us into relationship with him because of his son, Abraham's faith-filled statement, God himself will provide the lamb, goes hand in hand into John the Baptist's exclamation when he saw Jesus walking on the edge of the riverbank and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So how do we respond to that? How do we live in this idea of God's provision? Simply put, we have to trust him and we have to align our lives with who he says he is rather than who we want him to be. Turn with me in your Bibles to one more place, Matthew chapter six, if you would. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching, and this is what he says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What a great thing to underline. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Students, maybe it's just me. But a lot of times when I get ready to go out to a place or to come to church, I often have this crisis of faith moment where I have to go through my closet and pick out like three outfits that I think would look good and then I start to like put those outfits on and quickly I find that I don't like any of those things. And then I'm quickly back into my closet, I'm going here and there, I'm getting hot, I'm getting sweaty. I'm like, man, I need to lose a lot of weight. I'm going down this crisis of faith moment. Do you guys do that too? Good, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. But here's what it says in the scripture. It says, don't worry about what you'll wear. <laughs> okay. Is life not worth more than food and the body more than clothes? I'm gonna put that on top of my closet. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. 
are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you add a single hour to your life with worry? And why do you worry about your clothes, Jesus says? You see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who was the richest man in the entire world, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of the flowers that sprouts up and you run over with your lawnmower. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Verse 31 says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, those who don't know who God is, run after all of these things. And listen to this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that such an example of who God is? And the words that are spoken there are better than anything that can be crafted by man. Because what we see there is that not only can God provide for these things, but that he knows that you need these things. I don't know if I go to my closet very often and say, God, I need clothes to wear today. God knows I need those things. I'm not in a position in my life where I have to wake up and say, God, I need food today. But God knows that I need those things. You see, God is very much aware of what your needs are. Far more than what we are aware of those needs. And in the same way, God is provider. He gives rain when the earth needs refreshment. He calls the sun from its hiding when it needs warmth. Ready for that right now? He gives the animals their food. He gives the flowers their beauty, the birds their shelter, and you and me everything that we need. But we must must be willing to trust him to define what it is that we need. You see, in this culture, we often have this mentality as kind of like the microwave generation, right? Or this microwave culture where we want everything instantaneously. We want to put it in there for one to two minutes and I want a full meatloaf ready to eat right now, right? We're not willing to wait. We're not patient about much things and we expect everything to be done the way that we want it to be. But God is far more interested in the journey that he wants to walk with us in that. We see this on display throughout the way that he provides for the Israelites in the desert. We see this throughout the way in which Jesus discipled his guys that he was able to walk with, teaching them the importance of what was needed and and what wasn't needed and how to trust God for those things. Today, I hope that more than anything else is that we see that God's provision is way bigger than just our satisfaction. God's provision is drawing us to experience him. Like we see played out in Abraham, if we're willing to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, if we're willing to let God define who he is, who we are, and what we need, 
we will see that he provides for all of those things. Even if the way in which he provides, it's very different than what we expected. And so here's a challenge for you this week. As we've looked at how God defines himself, obviously there's always a response to that. You can write this down. What if instead of giving God our needs list, we ask God to provide in whatever way he wants to? God is not Santa Claus. He does not need a list from you about the things in which you hope and dream for because he knows you. He knew you before you were even placed in your mother's womb. He knows the life that he wants you to live. And what he's asking you to do is to trust him. Maybe you're at a job or you're in a situation or you're experiencing something that's far different than what you had expected or what you had hoped for. You just kind of feel stuck or trapped. Maybe don't always wish for something different. Don't always be dreaming about what's coming next or being somewhere else or doing something else. What if instead you were just present mentally? emotionally, spiritually, physically present. Like Abraham, what if you gave all of yourself, even if it doesn't make sense? You looked for where he was working, you saw him working, and then you praised him because you know that he did something that you didn't expect. That's God's provision. And through this series, we have seen that God is both loving and he is powerful. He is both omnipotent, got it now, and omnipresence. He is both good and he's able. So why do we fear for our needs? Why do we stress over the things that seem most urgent rather than the things that are most important? The truth is, is that until we experience God's goodness and his provision as defined by himself, this idea of the fact that God can provide is only gonna feel like a theological statement or a theory that some have. In other words, until we experience firsthand the character of God, fear will remain in our life. But praise God, 1 John 4.18 teaches us that there is no fear in love. Who is love? God is love. There is no fear in him. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Trusting who God is and what he has provided, and what he will continue providing in your life will only make you more confident in the moments. Here's the kicker. God longs for you to experience him. He longs to guide you into an encounter with him and his goodness. And the beautiful part is he's already established this foundation that we can trust him in. Can you see it? Can you look back in your life and see the places in which God was only able to provide? Can you see it in Jesus that because of our sins, we were separated from God, deserving of death, 
but because of his great love made complete in Jesus Christ. He has provided a way for us to know him for eternity. That's way bigger than my fear. That's way bigger than me picking out clothes in the closet. Don't miss this. God sees the desires of your heart today. He knows the things that you need. Today, will you respond like Abraham did when he called his name and say, God, here I am. All of me, God, here I am. You see me, you know me, you provide for me, and I praise you. Here I am. I'm willing to let go and trust that your ways are better than mine. Tonight, will you trust that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides? If you're willing to take your next step in trusting him in that way, whether that's through baptism believing that Jesus is who he says he is and dying to yourself and being raised again in the newness of life, come and let's talk about that. If you're online, drop a comment right now and we'd love to have a conversation with you about what it means to trust God as provider in your life. Maybe you're ready to take your next step in joining and being a part of the family here at MCC as we look for God for all things that he provides and you wanna be a part of what that means here we invite you to come in the same way. Let us pray for you. Let us acknowledge the fact that we believe the same thing and that we're in this together. Maybe for you tonight, you have questions or you just need somebody to pray with you about what it means to trust that God is who he says he is and that he is able to provide. Come and let's talk about that. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who has made a way for us to know you, to experience you. God, thank you for your word that just illustrates for us who you say you are. Father, I pray that we would cling to the reality that you have a bigger plan and a bigger purpose than what we often try to put you in a box to do. And Lord, we know that you provide for all of those things. Father, we simply surrender our heart to you in this moment, saying, God, have your way. Here I am all of me trusting that you are greater, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now, let's sing about who God is.